chapter three of supplements to the first book first half the doctrine of the idea of perception from the world as will and idea volume two by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine the doctrine of the idea of perception chapter three on the senses it is not the object of my writings to repeat what has been said by others and therefore i only make here some special remarks of my own on the subject of the senses the senses are merely the channels through which the brain receives from without in the form of sensations the materials which it works up into ideas of perception those sensations which principally serve for the objective comprehension of the external world must in themselves be neither agreeable nor disagreeable this really means that they must leave the will entirely unaffected otherwise the sensation itself would attract our attention and we would remain at the effect instead of passing to the cause which is what is aimed at here for it would bring with it that marked superiority as regards our consideration which the will always has over the mere idea to which we only turn when the will is silent therefore colours and sounds are in themselves and so long as their impression does not pass the normal degree neither painful nor pleasurable sensations but appear with the indifference that fits them to be the material of pure objective perception this is as far the case as was possible in a body which is in itself through and through will and just in this respect it is worthy of admiration physiologically it rests upon the fact that in the organs of the nobler senses thus in sight and hearing the nerves which have to receive the specific outward impression are quite insusceptible to any sensation of pain and know no other sensation than that which is specifically peculiar to them and which serves the purpose of mere apprehension thus the retina as also the optic nerve is insensible to every injury and this is also the case with the nerve of hearing in both organs pain is only felt in their other parts the surroundings of the nerve of sense which is peculiar to them never in this nerve itself in the case of the eye such pain is felt principally in the conjunctiva in the case of the ear in the meatus auditorius even with the brain this is the case for if it is cut into directly thus from above it has no feeling thus only on account of this indifference with regard to the will which is peculiar to them are the sensations of the eye capable of supplying the understanding with such multifarious and finely distinguished data out of which it constructs in our head the marvellous objective world by the application of the law of causality upon the foundation of the pure perceptions of space and time just that freedom from affecting the will which is characteristic of sensations of colour enables them when their energy is heightened by transparency as in the glow of an evening sky in painted glass and the like to raise us very easily into the state of pure objective willless perception which as i have shown in my third book is one of the chief constituent elements of the aesthetic impression just this indifference with regard to the will fit sounds to supply the material for denoting the infinite multiplicity of the conceptions of the reason 
outer sense that is receptivity for external impressions as pure data for the understanding is divided into five senses and these accommodate themselves to the four elements that is the four states of aggregation together with that of imponderability thus the sense for what is firm earth is touch for what is fluid water taste for what is in the form of vapour that is volatile vapour exhalation smell for what is permanently elastic air hearing for what is imponderable fire light sight the second imponderable heat is not properly an object of the senses but of general feeling and therefore always affects the will directly as agreeable or disagreeable from this classification there also follows the relative dignity of the senses sight has the highest rank because its sphere is the widest and its susceptibility the finest this rests upon the fact that what affects it is an imponderable that is something which is scarcely corporeal but is quasi spiritual hearing has the second place corresponding to air however touch is a more thorough and well-informed sense for while each of the other senses gives us only an entirely one-sided relation to the object as its sound or its relation to light touch which is closely bound up with general feeling and muscular power supplies the understanding with the data at once for the form magnitude hardness softness texture firmness temperature and weight of bodies and all this with the least possibility of illusion and deception to which all the other senses are far more subject the two lowest senses smell and taste are no longer free from a direct affection of the will that is they are always agreeably or disagreeably affected and are therefore more subjective than objective sensations of hearing are exclusively in time and therefore the whole nature of music consists in degrees of time upon which depends both the quality or pitch of tones by means of vibrations and also their quantity or duration by means of time the sensations of sight on the other hand are primarily and principally in space but secondarily by reason of their duration they are also in time sight is the sense of the understanding which perceives hearing is the sense of the reason which thinks and apprehends words are only imperfectly represented by visible signs and therefore i doubt whether a deaf and dumb man who can read but has no idea of the sound of the words works as quickly in thinking with the mere visible signs of conceptions as we do with the real that is the audible words if he cannot read it is well known that he is almost like an irrational animal while the man born blind is from the first a thoroughly rational being sight is an active hearing a passive sense therefore sounds affect our mind in a disturbing and hostile manner and indeed they do so the more in proportion as the mind is active and developed they distract all thoughts and instantly destroy the power of thinking on the other hand there is no analogous disturbance through the eye no direct effect of what is seen as such upon the activity of thought for naturally we are not speaking here of the influence which the objects looked at have upon the will but the most varied multitude of things before our eyes admits of entirely unhindered and quiet thought therefore the thinking mind lives at peace with the eye 
but is always at war with the ear this opposition of the two senses is also confirmed by the fact that if deaf and dumb persons are cured by galvanism they become deadly pale with terror at the first sounds they hear gilbert's annalen der physique volume ten page three eighty two while blind persons on the contrary who have been operated upon behold with ecstasy the first light and unwillingly allow the bandages to be put over their eyes again all that has been said however can be explained from the fact that hearing takes place by means of a mechanical vibration of the nerve of hearing which is at once transmitted to the brain while seeing on the other hand is a real action of the retina which is merely stimulated and called forth by light and its modifications as i have shown at length in my physiological theory of colours but this whole opposition stands in direct conflict with that coloured ether drum-beating theory which is now everywhere unblushingly served up and which seeks to degrade the eye's sensation of light to a mechanical vibration such as primarily that of hearing actually is while nothing can be more different than the still gentle effect of light and the alarm drum of hearing if we add to this the remarkable circumstance that although we hear with two ears the sensibility of which is often very different yet we never hear a sound double as we often see things double with our two eyes we are led to the conjecture that the sensation of hearing does not arise in the labyrinth or in the cochlea but deep in the brain where the two nerves of hearing meet and thus the impression becomes simple but this is where the pons varoli encloses the medulla oblongata thus at the absolutely lethal spot by the injury of which every animal is instantly killed and from which the nerve of hearing has only a short course to the labyrinth the seat of acoustic vibration now it is just because its source is here in this dangerous place in which also all movement of the limbs originates that we start at a sudden noise which does not occur in the least degree when we suddenly see a light for example a flash of lightning the optic nerve on the contrary proceeds from its thalami much further forward though perhaps its source lies behind them and throughout its course is covered by the anterior lobes of the brain although always separated from them till having extended quite out of the brain it is spread out in the retina upon which on stimulation by light the sensation first arises and where it is really localized this is shown in my essay upon sight and colour this origin of the auditory nerve explains then the great disturbance which the power of thinking suffers from sound on account of which thinking men and in general all people of much intellect are without exception absolutely incapable of enduring any noise for it disturbs the constant stream of their thoughts interrupts and paralyzes their thinking just because the vibration of the auditory nerve extends so deep into the brain the whole mass of which feels the oscillations set up through this nerve and vibrates along with them and because the brains of such persons are more easily moved than those of ordinary men on the same readiness to be set in motion and capacity for transmission which characterizes their brains depends the fact that in the case of persons like these every thought calls forth so readily all those analogous or related to it whereby the similarities analogies and relations of things in general come so quickly and easily into their minds 
that the same occasion which millions of ordinary minds have experienced before brings them to the thought to the discovery that other people are subsequently surprised they did not reach themselves for they certainly can think afterwards but they cannot think before thus the sun shone on all statues but only the statue of memnon gave forth a sound for this reason kant goethe and jean paul were highly sensitive to every noise as their biographers bear witness goethe in his last years bought a house which had fallen into disrepair close to his own simply in order that he might not have to endure the noise that would be made in repairing it thus it was in vain that in his youth he followed the drum in order to harden himself against noise it is not a matter of custom on the other hand the truly stoical indifference to noise of ordinary minds is astonishing no noise disturbs them in their thinking reading writing or other occupations while the finer mind is rendered quite incapable by it but just that which makes them so insensible to noise of every kind makes them also insensible to the beautiful in plastic art and to deep thought or fine expression in literary art in short to all that does not touch their personal interests the following remark of lichtenberg's applies to the paralyzing effect which noise has upon highly intellectual persons it is always a good sign when an artist can be hindered by trifles from exercising his art f used to stick his fingers into sulphur if he wished to play the piano such things do not interfere with the average mind it acts like a coarse sieve vermichte schriften volume one page three ninety eight i have long really held the opinion that the amount of noise which any one can bear undisturbed stands in inverse proportion to his mental capacity and therefore may be regarded as a pretty fair measure of it therefore if i hear the dogs barking for hours together in the court of a house without being stopped i know what to think of the intellectual capacity of the inhabitants the man who habitually slams the door of a room instead of shutting it with his hand or allows this to go on in his house is not only ill-bred but is also a coarse and dull-minded fellow that in english sensible also means gifted with understanding is based upon accurate and fine observation we shall only become quite civilized when the ears are no longer unprotected and when it shall no longer be the right of everybody to sever the consciousness of each thinking being in its course of a thousand steps with whistling howling bellowing hammering whip cracking barking etc etc the sybarites banished all noisy trades without the town the honourable sect of the shakers in north america permit no unnecessary noise in their villages and the moravians have a similar rule something more is said upon this subject in the thirtieth chapter of the second volume of the Pererga. the effect of music upon the mind so penetrating so direct so unfailing may be explained from the passive nature of hearing which has been discussed also the after-effect which sometimes follows it and which consists in a specially elevated frame of mind the vibrations of the tones following in rationally combined numerical relations set the fibre of the brain itself in similar vibration on the other hand the active nature of sight opposed as it is to the passive nature of hearing makes it intelligible why there can be nothing analogous to music for the eye and the piano of colours was an absurd mistake further it is just on account of the active nature of the sense of sight that it is remarkably acute in the case of beasts that hunt that is beasts of prey 
while conversely the passive sense of hearing is specially acute in those beasts that are hunted that flee and are timid so that it may give them timely warning of the pursuer that is rushing or creeping upon them just as we have recognized in sight the sense of the understanding and in hearing the sense of the reason so we might call smell the sense of the memory because it calls to us more directly than any other the specific impression of an event or a scene even from the most distant past end of chapter three recording by expatriate in bangor maine